You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There is a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for August 1st, 2014. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from just outside the open bar at the No Labels Party, it's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. want an open bar at the no labels party we want to drink and drink and drink and we'll get into that in a minute right now this this is the opposite of the old elvis costello song uh-huh. i used to be amused now i'm just disgusted yeah yeah oh and we should well i, I mean this is coming up this friday is, this is breaking news for us because we're recording this on thursday afternoon but yeah. right before we started recording driftglass walked into the living room to tell me something about Ted Cruz. I, I went into the West Wing of our stately manor <laughs> where we keep our yeah. recording studio. Yeah. And and told her that, hey, guess what? Ted Cruz cut uh, did cut John Boehner's balls off. Oh. Uh, and Ted Cruz. Not that I care that much about John Boehner's balls, but no. really. But he, Ted Cruz uh, just went out of his way the day they go on break for six weeks so that we can all talk about them. Um, went out of his way to prove that he is the alpha teabagger. Mm-hmm. Uh, took it upon himself to walk across the uh, the the, uh, the chambers there, leaving the Senate, go over to the House and lobby uh, conservatives over there to gut, to undercut, to pull back um, John Boehner's crappy immigration bill. This is not the three point whatever five seven billion dollars that Barack Obama had requested that would cover a lot of stuff. This wasn't even the one point something billion. That that was the compromise Senate bill. This was the which, 600 which was million. was all about border security, border security which, which is, is unnecessary which because is, everyone crossing the border from Guatemala is actually turning themselves in yeah, to yeah. border security. So, so it was the entirely unnecessary, but <sighs> they did put up. This was, wasn't even that. This was the $650 million cheap ass knockdown version of that crappy bill. And Ted Cruz convinced uh, uh, enough wingnuts in the house to back away from it that John Boehner couldn't get to his magic number, the, the, you know, the, the a majority of a majority number. It won't so, go to the floor of the house at all. It's, it's not going to get voted on at all. Ted Cruz walked over. The only fucking thing his party's working on, other than veterans, which they have to do, and suing the president of the United States for, for trying to make up for the fact that the Congress has been uh, loitering and AWOL for mm-hmm. four years. Um, the only thing these people have done. This is literally the worst Congress in history. You can look it up. Uh, they have done less than the do-nothing Congress by a factor of four. The famous Truman do-nothing Congress by a factor of four. They have done nothing. And for a teabagger, that is a great accomplishment because they well, hate Well, and this is, this is the thing that makes me somewhat sanguine. I'm really disgusted with the Congress in so many ways. The one thing that makes me, that comforts me about all of this. Yes. I was thinking earlier today about women voters, African-American voters, and Hispanic Latino voters. Yes. And, ha- and how the behavior of this Congress has made it impossible for that, those groups of voters to f- strategically forget how they were treated. Yeah. Uh, particularly African-American voters will never forget how this president was treated by this Congress. No. No, and by the Republican Party. This is their legacy. But what makes what comforts me is even if they did forget, even if the media convinced them to forget, the Republican Party won't let them forget. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because they keep doing voter suppression and opening their mouths and saying mm. stuff about immigrants and Ebola. Yeah. And they, so they, they can't show that. Well, that's the thing. They and I know we've said this a million times, but especially today, it bears repeating. Ted Cruz is the monster yep. that. The Southern strategy and the David Brooks wing of the party and Lee Atwater and all the scumbags who put the GOP together, tinker toy by tinker toy, into this electoral beast. Ted Cruz is the monster they built. And now and he and now he's become self-aware. Yeah. <laughs> now, now he is. Oh, no, I have all the power. I, I'm not just a blunt object. Is I can any direct- precedent for a U.S. senator to walk over to the House, grab half the party of his party, take it away from the Speaker of the House, and just run it? I, I don't think that's ever happened before. I I would guess maybe um, during the 
during the uh, First Continental Congress. Or, or, uh, may, or maybe right before uh, Civil the, War. the Civil War. Yeah, maybe. 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 But I can, think of, I, can, and I can think of no other time when, when this could have remotely happened. And it, it only happened because, let's face it, John Boehner is a pussy and a coward and an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And he is completely captive to the awful people who now really do control his party. Yeah. And, and Ted Cruz is brilliant because he just keeps – he's actually doing – in a completely destructive, uh, utterly feckless way. I know that that's uh, that's a word that uh, the right has stolen from me, but <laughs> in a completely destructive way. He's doing exactly what Barack Obama is doing in a very positive way, which is he is forcing them to choose. He, he keeps limiting their options, which you know strategically is brilliant. Leave them no place to run. You're either a good conservative and you don't support this bill, or you're a socialist liberal sellout and you do support this bill. Mm-hmm. And anybody who can capture the right to make that definition is the person who controls the Republican Party. Absolutely. Yep. Meanwhile, Barack Obama is playing the same game for benevolent reasons, uh, just daring people, you know, daring them to go forward. Just, you know. Make- well, and I love what Wonkette said that the House GOP was saying, Mr. President, stop impeaching yourself. Yeah. You're hurting us. <laughs> well, and he keeps forcing John Boehner to either side with the uh, majority of Americans who believe that the, the Congress, his Congress, is a complete time-wasting bunch of political uh, arsonists, mm-hmm. or that the president of the United States is a tyrant who must be deposed at all costs. Well, those are your only two choices, and you believe he's a tyrant who must be overthrown at all costs. A lawsuit ain't getting you there. So he keeps forcing John Boehner to either side with his own party or side with sane people who are observing this clusterfuck from the outside. Pardon my language. And that's what Cruz is doing. And Cruz is simply using the tools that have been provided to him by people like John Boehner. You know, they just thought this is the, this is the classic example of, of you've built this party of chumps and imbeciles and bigots and suckers as pigeons to be plucked. And now the, now the fight is over who gets to scam these idiots. And Ted Cruz is like, I'm just going to, I don't have to pretend they're not there. I speak to them directly. John Boehner, you have to deflect your comments through a popular sense of, we keep pretending this is the same group of people. We keep pretending we want to work with the president. We keep pretending this is somehow a, a, a not our problem. And Ted Cruz is completely free to say, no, no, all the crazy paranoid shit they say, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I completely mm-hmm. back them. And if you don't, John Boehner, then you're not the real conservative. And- you know, they're, and it they're, always also, Dirk Glass, goes back to money. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. You know the, thing, the thing to me that is underneath the surface of all of this is the ending of earmarks, which just totally disempowered the Speaker of the House to do anything. He had no leverage. He or she, the Speaker of the House, with no earmarks, has no leverage to say, look, vote with me, vote with what we want to get accomplished, and we'll get a bridge built in your district. Yeah. yeah, and we'll have open up a healthcare center in your district. Yeah. yeah, we'll do road work in your district. We'll trade. We'll trade. And we'll trade. Uh-huh. And the ending of earmarks was supposed to be and have a very clear motive of ending bribery, so to speak, uh-huh. within the House of Representatives that you wouldn't you actually have people voting for what they wanted instead of for a deal that spent money by the government. That's a bad thing, you know. Right. Right. And now all of the money <laughs> that comes to c- congressional candidates, first of all, they don't care about money being spent in their district anymore, obviously, because right. yeah. screw that. That's government spending and that's evil. Right. And they have enough stupid, stupid people in their districts, in their gerrymandered districts, who will vote against their own interests time and time again to say, oh, no, government spending's bad, even if a bridge in their district is desperately needed and it's going to collapse at any moment. Well, and even if we have... 300,000 really poor people. Yeah. And the government is offering to pick up the tab for their health benefits for four years. Screw that. Screw, Screw that. that. Screw yep. that. That's that's evil. That's somehow evil. Well, and you look at, what was it in West Virginia and Kentucky? 40% of the adults are on Social Security disability yeah. in some districts. Yeah. I mean, that's just absurd amount of people, but that's how they're, they're in incredible poverty able to survive. But vote for wingnuts who are going to cut government spending and want to change the retirement age to 70. And you're, you know, then you're on the side of God. Absolutely. Just stupid, stupid voting. And if you look at the, the this over the course of 40 years, the people, uh, th- there's a, 
a part of um, uh, the Sword of Constantine, I think. This this very large book uh, on the history of Catholicism. I forget the the author, but I read it years ago, and it was this fascinating study of the the way that the Catholic Church ratcheted up its its insanity and its bloodthirstiness and its its purity is is identical to the way the Tea Party does it. Because you start off with the party establishment and the in the center of power and the country priests who are out there preaching at the fringe, the fringe of the doctrine. Yep, yep. And those country priests are the ones who take over the center of power. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and power goes generation by generation to whoever can ratchet up the crazy the furthest. And the people who are the establishment folks end up just being shoveled into the into the ground because eventually the 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 country priests the, the people and out in the provinces preaching the craziest make their way to Rome and say look the logic of your position is that we have to kill all the heretics right and the person at the center of power either has to admit that they've been lying all along or they have to go along with it and, and those person- priests in the Republican Party are Donald Trump and Herman Cain and Ann Coulter and people that are this is where the money comes in. And Sarah they, people, Palin. Sarah Palin, people that get paid big speakers fees to speak in front of wingnuts and have internet mailing lists that get them small donations yeah. <laughs> like we get, but different. These, these folks are really ripping off seniors yeah. for the most part well, and, and, and doing so, more. doing so for the cause that that involves losing elections for the sake of purity. In other words, they're not really interested in making any substantive changes no. to government, just destroying the whole pot. And above it all is the Pope of all crazy. And if you haven't read The Loudest Voice in the Room oh, yeah. by yeah. Gabriel Sherman, I strongly urge you to do it because it is the it is Roger the Roger Ailes is the king. Roger Ailes and Fox the... News. This is all on purpose. This yep. is all part of the Fox News business plan. It has been from the very beginning. And by very beginning, I mean when Roger Ailes worked in the Nixon White House. This has yep. always been where they were going. And it's always been about maximizing the crazy, maximizing the entertainment value, making sure that you cut people off from any other source of information but your echo chamber, and then just cranking it up higher and higher and louder and louder until they're just a howling lunatic mob, which is where we are now. And the people who bought into that, because this is the this is the Faustian bargain. This is the, uh, as I wrote many, many years ago, this is Little Red Hen. Yes. The people who wanted the benefits of all of the crazies, all the electoral benefits, all of the uh, esteem that comes with heading up conservative think tanks and being the conservative columnist at the Atlantic or the conservative columnist. All the people who wanted all of the perks of riding this wave of crazy Mm -hmm. are now the people who are terrified because the crazies have now come to start making demands. Yep. And they either have to side with the lunatics (laughs) or be cast out. And this is absolutely b- baked into the cake. So now we've reached the point where um, John Boehner is throwing them a, a crowdsourced lawsuit mm-hmm. to hopefully get them off of his trail. And all that's going to happen, of course, is that they're they're either going to throw it out of court. I really do believe I've said this before. I really do believe the dream is they're going to somehow get Barack Obama under oath. Yeah, and yeah. You trick said that, him. talk about that. Yeah, talk about that. Because the only this is they this have, is what worked with Bill Clinton. Yeah, this is how they got Bill Clinton. Uh, the whole, remember they went, this is, and really this is exactly the same playbook with, you know, 70% more racism and, and 40% more stone fucking crazy, but it's all there. It's, you know, the DNA for what's happening now was all in the Clinton administration. It's witch hunt, witch hunt, witch hunt. Just keep after him, keep after him and keep cooking up crap in the right wing news. That is complete bullshit and turn that into congressional hearings. Hello, IRS. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Benghazi. It's exactly the same playbook. Cook up fake scandals in the right-wing press and turn them into witch hunts in the legislative body that that party controls. And eventually, 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 we'll figure out a way to put the president of the United States or someone important on the stand and put him under oath. And then we go on a fishing expedition. And then we go. We ask him anything we want. We go all over the place. And if, he, if there's one poorly parsed sentence anywhere in there, yep. then we impeach him. And that's he uses the wrong verb tense anywhere yep. in his testimony, then he can be impeached. Absolutely. Yep. 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 And that's it. That that is I, I firmly believe that's the plan. Well, and what's because... funny is they believe that about Hillary Clinton too. Sure. If we just get Hillary Clinton to swear in on Benghazi, mm-hmm. we've got her. Yeah. And they took one 
part of one sentence out of context and put it all over posters. Yeah. And people don't remember at all what she was talking about at the time. I want to bring that up because this thing you see all over the right wing of what difference would it have made, which is what Hillary Clinton said. And they right wing media has just pulled that out and said, Hillary Clinton doesn't care about dead people in Benghazi. Right. She was responding to the stupidest question ever from a congressional uh, hearing anywhere, which was some stupid congressman asked her, why didn't you call them right. during the attack to yeah. find out what was happening yeah. on your cell phone? Use, you know, they probably have a cellular phone while they were being burned alive. You could have called them and they found out what was happening. For, for cry I. And the answer to that was... What difference would that have made? Yeah, yeah. They're under attack. It doesn't, They're under at attack. That That's moment, not helping. That at that is moment, not it helping. doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter the political provenance of the people shooting at them. Right. What matters is they're being shot at and they're being attacked and they're being killed. That's what matters. So we'll clip that one piece out of context. What difference does it make? And yeah. that becomes... And, and that becomes... And that's why they want Barack Obama on the stand. So they can take one four-word excerpt and say, see, see, and their dim-witted Fox News listeners will go right along with it. And, and, and it, this it'll is, never stop. And, the, and it and, will never stop. It, That's no, what irritates it, it will never stop. Well, it, it and the thing is, it can be stopped. It just will not be stopped. Yeah. This is, this is uh, part and parcel with Mitt Romney during the debates, mm -hmm. who was listening to Drudge yes. and Fox <laughs> News, getting all of his information about Barack Obama from the source, sources so depraved and polluted and utterly untrustworthy that only Republicans would listen to them. Mm -hmm. And he, and he started, you know, he was obviously taking notes or his staff was taking notes about what he was hearing. So he, you didn't call this a terrorist attack until what? Weeks after the attack. It took, and he walked right into a rake because he walked right into the middle of pimping another right wing lie. Why? Yep. And after, please proceed governor. Yeah. And I just have a feeling they're in the white house. Like, Oh, please let them sue me. Please. Yep. Let them sue me. Yep. Uh, please, you know, I would, this, this is, Arguably the best thing that could possibly happen to my presidency for the last two years, other than actually being able to pass legislation and fix things and and do what I came to office to do. Um, Walking into a rake is exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Over I have good news, Drew Glass. Yeah. I have good news. Uh -huh. We're going to change the subject a little bit. Uh -huh. Christ is coming. Yes. And World Net Daily has for five whole dollars will send you a two DVD set telling you the exact day Jesus will return. Yes. But they're not gonna tell you the year. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Well that's the good news. <laughs> that's the good news. The bad news is that when Christ returns, it's a seven year old Guatemalan girl at the border. Who is currently alive and being cursed and screamed at by Christian. Quote unquote Christian. Yeah. You're listening to the Professional Left Podcast, professionalleft.blogspot.com. We're actually going to talk about one of my favorite topics. Now. Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. No Labels is really one of my favorite things to talk about. We've been proven so right about this. Any liberal could tell you that this was a Republican front group meant to erase the past failures yes. of the Republican Party. That's it. That's all they were there to do. Now, that's not fair, Blue Gal. That's Why? not fair. Why am it, I not being fair to her? It's also there to, to uh, separate people from their money. <laughs> it's also there for, so that Mark McKinnon could buy himself many, many festive scarves. Scarves, right. To wear and right. many, many and, cowboy hats. And attend hats. parties. And attend many, many parties. Right. Uh, but so, yeah, it's uh, it was a scam. It was a scam all along. Still um, is a scam. There, Apparently, still, is still a scam. going strong because they have... Hundreds of thousands of dollars. They have uh, $12 million. Wow. They have raised, uh, I'm looking at this article that um, Alert Reader Paul sent us. Thank you, Paul. Um, about, uh, and, and and the title of the article is, No Labels, No Results, No Problem. <laughs> um, this is in it, Yahoo News, is that right? Yeah. yeah. It uh, employed 22 paid staffers, eight consultants. Um, there's a, a Senate Democratic aide. Uh, this is a, you know, you can read the article for yourself, but one's the Senate Democratic aide quote in in the middle of this thing. Oh. Nope. Just let it ring for a minute. Fine. It's probably your boyfriend, <laughs> Mark McKinnon. Mark McKinnon on the phone. Yeah. Why are you talking to me? Hello, Mark. Yeah. 
yeah, when's the next cocktail party? I hope it's an open bar. No, there, <laughs> it's always there is an no open ne- bar. Yeah, there is no, no next way. cocktail party. There's just one continuous cocktail party. <laughs> and, uh, and it, this is it, true. But this, is, this is the quote that for sort of two-thirds of the way down the article is that this is a Senate senior Senate Democratic aide who spoke on condition of anonymity because <laughs> everyone does. Uh, I'm sorry. Re- I know people don't like me to laugh too often on this podcast. Yeah, but that's but just funny. No labels just makes me crack up. Well, it's it. it uh, so here's here's the quote. The reality is that no labels is a front group to raise money and pay consultants. They should release a full disclosure of not only how they're raising their money, but also how they're spending it. Mm-hmm. It has been a singularly it has been a complete failure as a lobbying organization. It's been a complete failure as a changing the partisanship organization. <laughs> it's been extraordinarily successful um, as a boutique vanity project for liars and political cowards who desperately need to pretend that every problem in the fucking world is caused by conservatives on one side, dirty hippies on the other, which is when you're, when you founded your organization on, on a premise that is fundamentally insane, eventually someone's going to start asking about, you know, uh, you raised a shitload of money and uh, you have nothing to show for it because the partisan divide in this country can be broken once the Republican Party has been smashed and burned to the ground. But until that happens, that's never going to change. And since the majority of people at no labels are Republicans or conservatives or uh, red state Democrats like Joe Manchin, uh, who cannot admit that, who just can't, who just can't do it. So, I, I mean, one of the virtues of having been blogging now for almost 10 years um, I, I checked it. I, I'm clocking in now at around 5,500 posts yeah. over 10 years, which I think I'm, I'm rather – no wonder I'm so damn tired. <laughs> um, but immediately after what I, what I now refer to as the Beltway Herbalife scam uh, was launched in 2010, like a, like a couple of weeks after they did their press conference, I wrote this post about, yay, political cowardice now has its own movement. <laughs> And, you know, in case you've ever wondered what, what would happen if you put together Republican primary losers, a goon bag of out-of-work, out-of-favor former Republican speechwriters, campaign button men, the last of the politically arteriosclerotic insider L- DLC goofs who aren't already drawing paychecks from the Obama administration, former Clinton White House full employment project, um, et cetera, et cetera, as well as Joe, Joe Scarborough and David Brooks. You put them all together, sprinkled it with an ass load of money, and you have the no labels yeah. movement, which is which is a joke and has been a joke from the start, and it's now uh, sort of a joke uh, to the end. It, it's been a it's been a joke all along. The joke is now public, but that doesn't mean it's going to stop. No, because because Mark we, McKinnon will be on Morning Joe. Well, and and as we learned this week, uh, everyone from Rich Lowry, uh, the the proprietor of uh, the American white supremacist newspaper of record and um, Chuck Todd, mm-hmm. who we'll talk about in just a minute, uh, to David Brooks, to, to all, all the usual suspects. Uh, it doesn't matter how publicly and catastrophically Republicans shit the bed. Yep. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that that Ted Cruz just walked over to the House of Representatives, poured a gallon of, of of lighter fluid on what was essentially a crappy bill to begin with, set it on fire and then rubbed John Boehner's face in it. By Sunday, I guarantee you, half of the blame will be allocated to Barack Obama. Yep, and because... you can see that with with this disaster with Ted Cruz and no one running the House Republican Party at all except Ted Cruz, Speaker Ted. This cruise missile, as someone called yeah. it, the cruise missile well, bombing bombing the house. And, and you turn to Fox, and they're talking about both sides. Yes. They're talking about equal responsibility. Yep. They're talking about as if the president somehow has anything to do with what just happened today. And and the last, this is, uh, I, I'd like to, if you don't mind, I'm going to indulge myself a little bit here. Sure. Uh, you want to read a post? I would like to read How a, did I know? I'm in your head. I would like to read a passage of a, something I wrote a few years ago. Wrote a song about it, centrism, <laughs> like to hear it. Here it goes. It's in the key of C. Did you leave your wah-wah pedal on the bus? I, I always do, baby. I always do. Yeah. It'll sound a lot better when Paul Anka sings it. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, This is just from a post, um, and I will read it verbatim as I wrote it. The universe is carefully divided into conservatives who are wrong and liberals who are somehow mysteriously and equally wrong all the time in equal numbers on every issue. 
and only Captain Obvious, frolicking across the few lonely yards of sand on his Isle of Reasonableness, can see the truth. It doesn't matter how many millions of miles the Shining Path Republicans drag the middle ground to the right. It doesn't matter the party of Lincoln is now infested, crotched to crown with maggoty segregationists. It doesn't matter that Nixon looks like a fucking socialist compared to the positions now being advocated by the GOP today. However far into the Armageddonist abyss the wingnuts charge, Captain Obvious will dutifully pace off half that distance back towards where the left, quote, the band formerly known as Rockefeller Republicans, <laughs> happened to be that day, drive his little stake into the shifting ground and declare that this is where the treasure of comity and reasonableness is buried, and that everyone on either side of his little island is equally and oppositely wrong. And then he will stamp his chubby little feet and whine that no one is listening to him. Mm -hmm. I wrote that in 2005 about Tom Friedman in Iraq. Wow. 2005? 2005. Tom Friedman. Because Tom Friedman wrote this entire article about Wait a minute, Barack Obama wasn't president in 2005. Well, this is before history began, so obviously (laughs) there's no proof that it exists. But Tom Friedman wrote this long article because Tom Friedman was, as you know, one of the most uh, flagrant neocon war pimps out there. And when it all went south on him, when it all blew up, he wrote this long, angry column about how both sides were wrong. And that was one of the things that, you know, one of the one of the times I just lost it. I just I just wanted to pound his fat little face into the curb and rip his mustache off and scream at him. But, of course, he's a billionaire. I'll never see him. He'll never be held accountable for anything. But listening to how the story was being spun as Iraq went south, this 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 exact moment in history. And it's the same thing that's happening now with immigration. This is in real time. We can watch. We can watch. A Republican meltdown be responded to with both sides, both sides, both sides. Yeah. And it and Tom Friedman is never going to be held accountable for anything. Mm-hmm. He's on the he's on the uh, what committee? The uh, the uh, Pulitzer committee. Pulitzer committee. Yeah, yeah. You know, he so bought no his way under that. No one is ever going to. No one's going to hold him accountable. No one's ever going to fire David Brooks. No one's ever going to touch these people. They are so far above accountability, and they're all mutually dependent. It, this is a circle of drunks all leaning on each other. Because if one of them pulls out of the group, they all fall down. If one of them starts admitting that, you know what? The problem with our country is the Republican Party is a, a cesspool of imbeciles and demagogues, and they need to be destroyed. They need to be they, politically and culturally burned to the ground and, and started over. And those people should never be allowed anywhere near a public discussion again. The I'm going to interrupt you for one yep. moment, Drift Glass, yep. and just uh-huh. point out that one conservative was actually right this week. Yeah, who? And that was George Will. Oh, yes, he was, yeah. And George Will said... Welcome these children into the United States. Tell them you're going to go to school, you're going to get jobs, and you're going to be Americans. And then he said something that I thought was so funny. He mm-hmm. he mentioned the number of counties that there are in America, yes. and that each kid each county should take 20 kids, and then yeah. we'll have it all taken care of. We've taken in, and he he's right. We've taken in many more refugees. Orders of magnitude. In orders of magnitude, just with the Irish alone, and I yeah. say that because you're Irish. But um, what I, the way I responded to that immediately was, I want to move to George Will's County yeah. if I'm an immigrant. Yeah. All things being equal. <laughs> can, I, can I please be in suburban D.C. in Virginia? Well, <laughs> right next to, you know, the Virginia governor's mansion with all the uh, mansions belonging to uh, contractors. Yeah. Defense contractors. That's what I want. I want well, this is George you know, Will's county. <laughs> all counties are not created equal. No, they but, are not. But George Will is saying something that you and I said a month ago. Yeah. Which is yeah. the smartest thing we could do, the most humane thing we could do, happens to be the smartest thing we could do, which is let all these kids in. Yep. Um, uh, many will stay. They'll grow up. They'll they'll become. Uh, well, and and most of them, the ones that are staying legally. Yeah. Have relatives in the yeah. United States. Place We're to ready to take them in and register them for school before September first. And some percentage of them will go home at some point, go back to their 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 uh, country of origin. And those people will leave with a memory of America that is humane and generous and kind and intelligent and those multicultural. Stay, Fox mm-hmm. News viewers will pay your social security uh-huh. taxes. Hello. Well. Yeah. This will infect their country with the virus of a vibrant, healthy democracy. Yeah. You know, they can be they can be the witnesses that the, it, there is a country 
north of here where people get along. People people speak all kinds of different languages. They, they have all kinds of different religions, but they get along. They welcomed me in. They welcomed the weary traveler. They welcomed me as a child. They raised me. They treated me right. I have nothing but fond memories of America. It's a loud, rambunctious place, but basically they're decent there. Imagine how that message would be received multiplied by thousands and tens of thousands mm -hmm. and millions mm -hmm. if that were the common experience of people passing through this country. Uh, and, and it could be if they didn't if they didn't know about Fox News. That could that could be <laughs> who we are. But um, but we can't do that. We can't have that now. And, and this week, I also want to, uh, in addition to the no labels thing, I also want to swing back around and talk about Chuck Todd. Oh please. Um, you mean Chuck both sides, Todd? Chuck both sides, Todd. Chuck, you know, Chuck, uh, Chuck Nato. Chuck Nato. And he cannot, I could not believe actually what he said on Wednesday. I know. It was, well, no, I could not, I, I could absolutely predict what he was going to say on Wednesday. Uh, really? Because they only, I mean, go back, go back to, go back 10 years, go back to the middle of the Iraq war, go back to Tom Friedman. Okay. Everything is fucking falling apart. Everything is on fire. The only way you get away with not having your your insignia stripped and being cast out of polite society forever is to find a way to make sure Republicans aren't blamed for everything. <laughs> yeah. Find a way that the dirty hippies are somehow to blame for for half of it all. At least half. But they were always they, both sides were really wrong about this. It wasn't just Republicans. It wasn't just conservatives. My goodness me, those dirty hippies, those liberals were equally wrong in some measure. And the person who can come up with that narrative quickest is the person who's rewarded the mostest. And so jump ahead, jump jump from 2005 to 2014. Jump from the middle of the Iraq war when Tom Friedman and the rest of his filthy ilk are cranking out a narrative that somehow both sides, both sides, somehow everybody got this wrong. Somehow we're not we're not uniquely to blame. Everybody blew it. Everybody left, right, center, we all got it wrong. And if only we would all agree to meet in the middle and stop blaming each other. Well, guess what? We tried meeting in the middle. We tried not blaming each other. And what we got was Ted Cruz. Yeah. Because we let criminal and treasonous behavior go unpunished. And, and it was a lot of fester and flower. And the flower of that is Ted Cruz. So what happened? Ted Cruz is now the head of the Republican Party. Yeah. Let's 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 not pretend he's not. But over over in the cesspool that is the Republican arm of the government, there's all this impeachment talk. There's impeachment talk on, on behalf of, of elected representatives. There's impeachment talk on behalf of the real heads of the Republican Party, which are the pundits. They're the ones who give the elected people their their marching orders. And there is polling data showing that majorities or very large majorities of Republicans want the Kenyan usurper impeached. Mm -hmm. But you can't say that this problem is the result of the Republican Party being out of its fucking mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, You're not allowed to say that. And so Chuck Todd, who I kind of think is angling for that big Sunday morning chair, mm -hmm. has to come up with a narrative, has to come up with a way where everybody is equally to blame for this. Both sides, liberal, conservative, left and right are equal. And, and as sure as day follows night, as sure as fungus follows a rain, as sure as the bubbling of a slug follows the slug going face down into a bucket of rock salt, Chuck Todd rolls out his both sides do it narrative on impeachment. Well, you know, sure, sure, uh, there's this lawsuit, but, you know, the lawsuit is stupid and, and so forth. And, and, you know, Boehner has to do that to stave off the impeachment caucus. But, you know, Democrats are, are just as bad about this. Democrats are just as guilty of ginning this all up. And internal to his own stupid argument is the that, acknowledgement is, is the acknowledgement there is an impeachment caucus there yeah. is a hardcore yeah. of the republican party people like ted cruz who now runs the republican party who have been gunning for barack obama since before he was inaugurated and chuck todd cannot say that because chuck todd is a fucking coward that was the thing that amazed me was that he said uh he's just doing it to appease the impeachment caucus but it's both sides. Yes, because there's no Wait, real. There's an impeachment caucus in the Republican Party, and I went and you're admitting that, but you're, but then you just totally erase what you just said. And this is why you don't put liberals on television. <laughs> because, because they, will, they it, will launch Chuck Todd into space. No, because it would take about it would take about two minutes to disassemble his smirky little ass on camera. It would, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it really in this case, it's like you have a a, a, a glass of gasoline in front of you. And Chuck Todd is arguing that it's not flammable, it's not gasoline. All you need to do is toss a match in it to prove him wrong. Mm -hmm. And yeah. rather than get the stupid argument completely off the stage, because Chuck Todd's entire business is lying about the Republican Party. 
That's what his job is. His whole job, David Gregory's whole job, Chuck Topps' whole job, Mark Halper's entire job are lying about the Republican Party. Mm Mm-hmm. Making sure every time they fuck up, the blame is 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 tossed onto my back and your back. Mm-hmm. That's what they get paid to do. They get paid really well to do it. So it is in someone's interest. Someone's paying them very well and has been paying them well for at least a decade, obviously more, to tell the same lie, to cover the same batch of criminals for the same bunch of crimes over and over and over again. And the reason they don't let liberals on television is because someone would call Chuck out on his fucking lie. Someone would, would stand up and say, hey, Chuck. Let's talk about the extremes on the left, shall we? Why don't you explain to me what those extremes are? And then you go through the entire list of Republican treason and lies and and law-breaking and hypocrisy and on and on and on. And, and then ask, one of you has to go. Yeah. And it's not going to be Chuck Todd. No. And that's why liberals are not allowed on television. Because yeah. at some point, um, you or I would be, would be hauled off in a net. You know, the, the hook would come. So it is it, – this is why I really do stress – Ignore Fox News. Yeah. Not their effect is toxic and destructive, but ignore them as a, as a way that, that they're that's like trying to invade France from the polarized cap. Okay, <laughs> it ain't gonna work. There's no way to do it. We're looking for the Normandy. We're looking for the optimal place to get inside of this horribly broken machine that keeps letting the Ted Cruz's of the world off the hook and giving them more power. Because Ted Cruz understands the game. He does, and he does. and he they will not call him to account. I believe mm-hmm. because he's been to Iowa twice this week. They will not call him to account because calling him to account without calling Harry Reid to account, yeah, or Nancy Pelosi yeah. to account breaks the rule because it has to be both sides. And but he has both. to also be part of the narrative that's going to carry them through the Iowa caucuses. Exactly right. And if he implodes at this point, the way Marco Rubio and I don't, Jeb Bush have pretty much imploded on the immigration issue then there's no story. There's no, there's no drama. Well, and, and as, as we talked about, because this is, you know, let's mention this is the day that, <laughs> again, um, Ted Cruz decided he would take a giant dump on immigration reform because mm-hmm. freedom mm-hmm. Um, and showed exactly what a, a, a craven sock puppet, a weepy, drunken idiot um, uh, John Boehner has always, the houses, been, yep. has always yep. been. I mean, really, this guy's reputation for the next hundred years, people are going to, there's going to be a, a, a dictionary definition of Boehner. Of, yeah. of Boehner, and it's not going to be pretty. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be Gilligan. Drunk and that, helpless, yes. Drunken, drunk and stupid Gilligan, uh, who who just keeps running into the same fist over and over again. Um, but but Ted Cruz understands the game. He understands that that that. Chuck Todd cannot call him out by name and party and single him out and say he is he is the problem. Because the minute that happens, Chuck Todd's career and his shot at the big chair on Sunday morning is over. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying ignore Fox News um, because there's no getting to them. There's no getting to the Rush Limbaugh people. They're, they're, their souls are lost. Their brains are dead. The, the place we can go, and we talked a little bit about this before the show. Um, imagine if... You know, Rich Lowry is always going to find uh, a way to blame Barack Obama every mm-hmm. time Ted Cruz does something insane. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles Krauthammer is always going to find a way to parse it both ways. But what would happen if those people never had a chance to take their message to mainstream television? Because anytime you, they said both sides or but the Democrats, they got la- laughed yeah, la- out of the out of the conversation. What if Rich yeah. Lowry were never invited on Meet the Press again? Mm-hmm. And his stupid ideas, every time they're broached, there were two or three people there who were just intelligent, average citizens mm-hmm. to point out the fact that Rich Lowry has no business opening his fucking pie hole ever again on any subject. But no, Rich Lowry will be on Meet the Press again. He'll be on the Meet the Press five, six, ten, twelve more times. And because it's entertainment, it's just TV. Mm-hmm. But imagine what a different political conversation we could have in this country if you took both sides off the table. Yep. It's never going to be off the table in a conservative home. But imagine if the whole idea of using that as an excuse got you laughed out of the mm-hmm. New York Times, any polite the Washington conversation. Post, yep. uh, this week, any television show that, that has an audience more than, uh, you know, 100,000 mm-hmm. and any any magazine that's considered reputable and serious, you were never allowed to make that argument because it is so patently untrue. Imagine what a completely different political conversation we would be having. We'd be talking about how can we cut the massive pulsing carcinoma out of the heart of the party of Lincoln 
and save it? Or is it beyond saving? That's the conversation we should be having because that's the truth. But that's the conversation we will never have because the day we start having that conversation is the day Chuck Todd loses a paycheck. And that ain't going to happen. So we Nick need Lass, to- Someone yep. this week not only clipped together on YouTube, but also cataloged in writing every Samuel L. Jackson motherfucker oh. in one supercut. And it goes on for several minutes. I would imagine Just it would. Samuel L. Jackson. It's 171 times. Did they get the one from uh, Star Wars? <laughs> I don't know. No? <laughs> I think that was the one where he Here, read it. Here's a good trivia question for you. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, Jackie Brown or Pulp Fiction, which one did Samuel L. Jackson have more motherfuckers? And we're going to count the wallet that says motherfucker right. on it as one of the times in Pulp was, Fiction. Jackie okay. Brown. Jackie Brown. You think he said motherfucker more times in Jackie Brown and then Pulp Fiction? Yes. You're right. Yeah. Yep. He said it 37 times in Jackie Brown. Yep. If you count the wallet, it's 27 times in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. No, okay. he was he but, was a straight up monster in Jackie Brown. He was a, he was a, a a badass but complicated character. Yep. And my feeling is if someone can catalog in writing and put together a YouTube supercut of Samuel L. Jackson motherfucker, mm-hmm. we ought to be able to put together 171 both sides. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Okay. And, I but think the that's De- a, and count but the Democrats also. I think that is a absolutely worthwhile project. Send them to me. Send them to us. If you have a, if you know of a YouTube where a pundit says both sides, the words both sides, yeah. email it to me at mrsdriftglass at gmail.com. And or, we'll start working on that. Or if you work for the John Stewart show, <laughs> you work for the and Daily Show, li- and you're paid to do that, and you've already done this because you know you have. You know, you know you somewhere have. in you your know, you've archives, got, you've got the technology to do it too. Yes, this, this real that 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 hammer like repetition of the talking point of the day. Yep. That really does underscore how completely Roger Ailes controls the Republican. Yeah. Movement. Yeah. Because yeah. we're going to use the word uh, Cheetos. <laughs> Cheetos, Cheetos, and Cheetos, every Cheetos, single, Cheetos. and everyone like, from Sarah show. Palin to every, just everybody says that word. Yes, yeah, Sarah all day Palin, long. Yes. all the way, in, and then then ending class up class warfare, Lou, class warfare, class Lou warfare. Gomert. Yeah, <laughs> but you can, it, it's Congress, it's the pundits, it's the talk show hosts, it's yep. it's the newspaper. Once they get that memo, they all stick to the party line, and that's why they win. Frankly, yeah, they yeah. they don't th- th- as much as as they're having a civil war. Um, they're having a civil war between two uh, groups of people who are fundamentally followers, mm-hmm. who are mm-hmm. fundamentally cannon fodder. Yeah. Republicans just want a guy in the uniform they can follow, who can tell, mm-hmm. give yep. them orders and tell yep. them what to think. Yep, yep. Which is, which is why when you have two and different— And who tells them they're on the side of God. Yeah. Christian, white, Downton Abbey, Jesus will love you because you're voting and, and, this way. Yeah. And you look at you look at a, 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 a drunken— idiot like John Boehner, and he ain't selling that message. No. But you look at Ted Cruz, who's got the oh, whole yeah. looking up to heaven demagogic thing oh, down do, 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 do. Um, it, Canadian it, Ted Cruz. Canadian yes. Ted. It rolls off his tongue. Ted Cruz yeah. oh, um, yeah. Ted Cruz says with great sincerity that he, I'm sure he's acting on behalf of Christ Almighty. And, and the American the, people. And the American yes. people. Yes. And that is what the chumps on the right want to hear. That's what they'll follow right off the edge of the cliff. Right now, they have several different people on the right all claiming the mantle. You know, uh, two of them two of them say they're Jesus. One of them must be wrong. Um, <laughs> and Speaking well, of that, we're going to switch to Bible Bitch for just yeah, a minute. Yeah, Do you yeah, mind? Bible Bitch. No, 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 no. Time for some Bible Bitch. Bible Bitch. That's not scriptural. You and I discovered this week, Drift Glass, that genetics is covered in the Bible. It is. There's actual discussion of genetics in Genesis 30. And uh, I'm not going to read from the Bible. I'm actually going to read from a commentary. Um, This is about Jacob and his father-in-law, Laban. Laban is just a jerk. He's He's a cheat and a liar. And Jacob wanted to work for Rachel for seven years and... Then after Jacob worked for seven years for uh, the hand of Rachel, Laban snuck his older daughter, who was not Rachel, into the tent, and Jacob slept with her instead, and Jacob had to work another seven years. I believe Laban said, what? What? Yeah, what? What? The older daughter has to get married first. Tough. What? That's, that's the way so, we and, do it. And it just it continued on. So yeah. finally, uh, Jacob has kids and servants and two wives and a bunch of 
people and uh, and and some uh, movable property, and he wants to leave. He wants and, to leave the service of his father-in-law. And, and this is a relationship between two um, con men. Yeah, pretty much. Jacob is... Jacob can outcon Laban, but Jacob also has God on his side as right. far as this. Uh, you know, not to be too uh, disrespectful of scripture, but right. you know this this is a a parable. <laughs> right. But but these and are not saints. These are two. No, these, these are, are two guys. Scam artists. Farm hands. Right. We're trying to outdo each other. And they they try to outdo each other. Yeah. Um. So Jacob wants to leave, and he says, "Just pay me off, and I'll leave." And Laban says, "Yeah, I'd like to pay you off. How should I pay you off?" And uh, Jacob comes up with the idea of um. Most sheep are born a solid color and most goats are born black in this black or brown in this particular part of the world. At and he time, says, let yeah. me take all of the sheep and the goats that have spots or stripes on them, yeah, all the which defects. are smaller. Right. They're defects. And, and there's there's a smaller number of those. Right. And Laban cheerfully accepts this because he knows he's getting the better deal. He's not being asked for half of his flock at all. No, he's being asked for the, the cast offs and the, the cast the off and just a few. And and let's remind everybody what Jacob does for a living. He's a sheep herder. He's in charge of the sheep. Yeah. But uh as soon as they make this deal, and the deal is that any future sheep or lambs that are born with spots or stripes will also go to Jacob as long as he's around. Yep. Laban takes all the spotted and striped sheep and goats and takes them three days away from Jacob. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Jacob's left taking care of all these solid color animals. And there is a uh, myth in sheep herder circles at this time that whatever a sheep is looking at when they copulate will affect the coloring of the sheep. Uh-huh. So he starts making these striped and spotted tree limbs around the watering hole by stripping off the bark and making stripes in order so that these animals will give birth to striped animals. And regardless of how that happens, there are some striped and spotted animals born. He then takes those striped and animals, striped and spotted animals that are born from the solid color ones he has, because that's just an anomaly that happens. Yeah, just a run. And he breeds those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody else, nope. Nope. He he turns those them away from the water trowel. He makes sure that the ones that are in heat get bred with the with the spotted males uh -huh. and the spotted females. He always makes sure he just is watching these animals and he's able the ones that are solid colors, he sends away from the ewes that are in heat mm -hmm. and, and they aren't allowed to copulate. And so once the spotted uh, males have copulated with the females in heat or the spotted females have copulated and they're impregnated, he can just let them run loose. Yeah. Cause they're, once you're pregnant, you're pregnant. So mm -hmm. uh, he winds up with a lot more sheep than Laban has. Cause he just <laughs> keeps mixing in, even though Laban, Laban also believed in genetics because he took all of the spotted and uh -huh. striped sheep three days away from Jacob. So just want all of you to know that, yes, genetics is in the Bible. <laughs> this is straight up selective breeding. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This is animal husbandry. Uh -huh. Plain and, this and simple. Is, this is what... Um, Even done. with the little myth of what the sheep is looking at is what the babies are going to look at, look like. But, but, but uh, you know, was... that's an old wives tale. But, yeah, go ahead. Oh, this was... Thousands and thousands of years before Gregor Mendel. Yeah. Played, yeah. played with peas. But the theories but the theories still the same. There is in the Bible, if you if you want to have fun with your fundy friends, in the Bible there is a recognition that you have inherited traits. Mm -hmm. And those inherited traits are are carried forward and become dominant or they fade away depending on who you copulate with, who you have sex with. Yeah. And that line can be traced forward, but it can also be traced back. So the idea that the species is constantly changing based on either random chance or deliberate uh, breeding is something that's already there. And that's really the basis of genetics. That's the recognition that there are things – there's something going on that allows uh, characteristics to be passed from one generation to another. And you, by, by manipulating them, you can control them. That's the core of genetics. Right. And that's that's right. in the Bible, baby. It's in so, the Bible. And, that, and that's Bible Bitch for this week. Excellent Bible Bitch. <laughs> and if anyone wants to go and read that, again, it's Genesis 30. You can 
pull down your Bible and start reading Genesis 30 is where it all, the second half of Genesis 30. All Get right. on it, people. Each week we post to our Facebook page and website an internet kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's internet kitty is Curly. And the dear listener who sent in Curly notes that Curly was adopted because Curly was the oldest cat in the shelter. Yeah. Isn't that a wonderful idea? I highly recommend if you go to a shelter to adopt a cat, the old cats and the black cats are the ones you should request. They make the best pets. And Curly is beautiful. So check out Curly at our Facebook page and website. Also, we would like to welcome to the world baby Edith. Baby Edith. Edith is the niece of our dear friend Andy in England Mm -hmm. and is the sister to Flo. Some of you may remember Flo. Uh, she wore Internet Kitty pajamas early on when we started the Internet Kitty of the Week. She had jammy, pink jammies with cats all over them, mm-hmm. and we made her jammies Internet Kitty of the Week a long time ago. Anyway, Flo's sister Edith was born July 30th, 7 pounds, 9 and a half ounces, is doing great. She is small, but she is fierce. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we love baby Edith. Welcome to the world, baby Edith. Welcome, baby Edith. You can send your internet kitty to us at our email address, prolefpodcast at gmail.com, or you can also write to both of us. Feel free to write us. We love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write to us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service. Go, Postal Unions. Letter on the air, unless you say otherwise. So, Driftglass, how are the internet kitties doing this week? Well, the internet kitties fear that homophonism is just a slippery slope on the way to full-blown homonymism and then polysemy. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, lovey dovey. Let's forget about the whining and the crying and the shooting and the dying and the fellow with the switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. The Professional Left Podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2014. Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. Minecraft is awesome. Now it's time for Science Fiction University with our science fiction expert, Jeff Glass. All right, we're at Science Fiction University. I think you ought to explain that Internet Kitty thing. Because the um, guy got fired. Homophones at a language school. Homophones? You're teaching my kid about gay work? Yeah, no. Uh, okay, never mind. Apparently, you can breed stripes and spots into a sheep, uh-huh. but you can't breed a stupid out of Utah. Science Fiction University, first of all, we have some sad news from the world of science fiction this week. Do Larry Santoro, the great and good Larry Santoro, who probably nobody has heard of, passed away last Friday. Uh, at the age of 71, I believe. Mm. And Larry Santoro was a very fine writer. Uh, He was a Chicago-based writer. He and I crossed paths many times. Uh, I heard him read many times. He heard me read many times. We complimented each other's stories. We busted each other's balls. We did all the things that you do when you're you're sort of feeling like peers. He uh, wrote a wonderful novel called Just North of Nowhere. Uh, It's sort of the evil equivalent of Garrison Keillor's Stories. Oh, okay. It's, it's a haunted version of <laughs> Lake Wobegon, mm-hmm. uh, full of witches and spells and just wonderful, marvelous, cool, excellent writing. And his short stories are great. He was nominated for a bunch of awards. And uh, and I have an autographed copy because I went to his desk when he worked at the city of Chicago. He told me where he worked and I went up there and visited with him and chatted with him and asked him for an autograph. And he looked surprised and I said, no, dude, you're a writer. You got a book. I want a copy of it. I want your signature on it. And we always felt it was unfair. The sort of the, the writers that were in that loosely held constellation, uh, because Larry also had theater training. <laughs> he was a, a TV. He was a casting director at one time and he was a, a producer and or director of a show, a, a television show and had really extensive stage training and, and really, knew how to command his space. And he had a, a very Alan Rickman-like voice. He could melt anvils, in other words, with his voice. Yes. He could. So he could read a shitty story. It Make it sound great. good. And we always felt that was a, a little bit unfair there, Larry. Huh? Uh, but he, a, a grand and good writer, a really nice guy. Uh, one well, of the rest pe- in peace, Larry Santoro. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. One, of the, one, of the, one of those people that you meet in life that you get to meet at, at sort of eye level. Uh-huh. Uh, who... In other circumstances, you would be attending their lectures and be too shy to go up to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but a fine guy and a great writer, so, and I will miss him. Now we're going on to Science Fiction University, which is what Larry would want us to do. He would. He, oh, actually, <laughs> he, 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 had, he had a podcast called The, the Sofa Knots. Oh, um, okay. Which was a sort of a science fiction horror um, general genre interest thing 
that he did. And uh, we'll, we'll probably put a link up to that. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. All right. This science fiction university, by the way, is courtesy of our friends at Magnolia e-publishing. Who've always been very good to us. They've always been very good to us. And five answers. That's it. Five questions, five, five. answers. That's it. Five. All right. These are mostly clips from podcasts. Okay. There is one, I will tell you, that is simply a clip from the production itself. Okay. And uh, here we go with number one. Uh, I will say at the outset, uh, Magnolia ePublishing, if any of these are clips of me talking about this stuff on our own podcast, that is totally unfair. Because <laughs> I have no idea what I said last week or the week. I before. will tell you, none of this is Driftlast talking about anything. Thank goodness. I hate the sound of my own voice, and I really, really don't like the, <laughs> the way I put on airs when it comes to science fiction. All right, well... Don't put on any airs. Just answer these questions, all right? All right, rock me. Rock me, baby. <laughs> Number one. Sure. They wanted uh, Isaac Asimov to do That's the book and he or the screenplay or something. He yeah. said, hey, this thing's full of plot holes. And he said, let me write the novelization the way I would have written it. Yeah. And he fixed a lot of the plot holes in the book, but he wrote it so quick the book came out before the movie. Is that what happened? So everybody thought the movie was based on a book that Isaac Asimov wrote. Well, Asimov is sort of a giveaway because, you know, he he didn't write a lot of things. I would guess... The first crappy Star Trek movie. He, I know he was involved with it at some point. He wrote something, so that would be uh, an educated guess at what he he turned into a better novel than it was ever a movie. That's a good guess, but it's wrong. Oh no! Do you want me to take another guess or? Uh, no, I will uh, settle with being wrong. I will just live with being wrong. <laughs> it's Fantastic Voyage. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Raquel Welsh, Donald Pleasance. Great movie. Yeah, and I could definitely see Asimov. Going, oh man, Shit. I'm just going to write the book. Shaking leave me alone. The leave bug. me alone for three days. I'm going to rewrite this book. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to debug this shit. Just leave me alone. Okay? <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect it's sense. It's so true. All right, number two. The guy got in the vault. Oh, that's that's everyone's favorite idiocracy. That's right. Ow my balls. That's the ow my balls clip. Yeah. And and uh, just for you true hardcore science fiction fans, all you hardcore folks out there know that that is the entire plot, except for the ending, really, mm -hmm. um, is lifted straight out of a story called The Marching Morons oh. by Cyril Kornbluth. I'm going to have uh, to go look that up. From 1951. And I mean straight up. It's a time traveler who wakes up in a future in a, in the, the, in a world populated by morons. And it's all falling apart. In in the short story, there's an actual group of people who are still smart, who are a, a very tiny minority who are desperately trying to keep the planet from falling apart, who are just trying to keep things running. Mm -hmm. And they want to know how to get rid of these people. <laughs> B-Arc. But that's uh, another story well, basically, altogether. Yeah, okay. that's what it comes out. <laughs> I won't spoil the ending for you, but um, our, our man was born in the 20th century, and he brought some distinctly 20th century ideas with him uh, about oh, okay. how to – how to get these people to uh, volunteer voluntarily suck, you know, suck vacuum. <laughs> right. Anyway, it's, it's exactly the same story. And if you read it, you'll see that it's exactly the same. I think they acknowledge it. I'm not sure, but it's straight up the same story. All right. Number three. This is also a podcast, by the way. But when you made off with the bottle, sneaking it away, I knew I had it made. And now the big question, will you let the world in? On the grotto paintings. Man, I feel I should know this, but I don't. Um, they mentioned grotto. Yeah. Nope. I wish I did. It is by Clifford Simak, and it's the Grotto of the Dancing Deer. Oh, I should. I really should know that. Clifford Clifford Simak is a very uh, good and underrated and gentle and humane, or was. Uh, was writer. yeah. He died in '88. Um, he's got wonderful stories about about. That take place over the over the course of hundreds or thousands of years. The, the 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 disappearance of cities as transportation as transports become easier and people stop stop leaving their home. And what happens when you have an entire population that is agoraphobic by nature oh, and have robot servants who take care of their every need? He has lots of really cool speculative stuff that's, that's gentle and interesting and sociological rather than sort of big science engineering projects. Very interesting. Yeah, good guy. Also, I want to check out these um, podcasts. Uh, the Fantastic Voyage one, by the way, was courtesy of the Q Filmcast. Thank you, Q Filmcast. And the number three Grotto of the Dancing Deer uh, was discussed by the Escape Pod podcast. Excellent. All right, number four. When we get to the end of the story, I mean, I don't want to spoil it too much, like what happens, but what the story is about is about Tila and about 
how she has been bred in one way. You know, she's been bred for luck. And the story is about the speaker to animals, the Kazin, how he's been bred in another way. Yeah. It's not actually about Louis Wu, even though he's the main character. Oh, that's uh, that's Ringworld. Ringworld, correct. Larry, Larry Niven. Speaking of gigantic engineering projects, one of the interesting tricks of the story was he his captain wanted luck, as well as ability to navigate and a bunch of other things. And they thought, let's find someone who's just insanely lucky, because if we're in a lot of danger, it would be really helpful. And he found someone who's who had, like, their family had won the genetic lottery for five generations in a row and was defied all statistics. That always stuck out to me as kind of an interesting, if luck were actually a genetic trait. Absolutely. This one's courtesy of the Science Fiction Book Review Podcast with Luke Burridge. And number five, finally, is uh, courtesy of the David Pakman Show which is a liberal political podcast that you and I are familiar with. We I are. Met David, yeah. We are. What, what are you doing in my backyard, David? <laughs> All right, here he is. And I have to say it is way ahead of its time. It's actually from the 50s. And when you read it, you feel like you are maybe uh, now or five years, 10 years in the future. It is absolutely excellent. What happens when advertising agencies take over the world? Oh, okay. Well, that's that's. The space merchants. That's the space which merchants, which we I, talk about all the time. Like you say, David Pakman is literally in your backyard. In yes, that, this is. Is a, that is a story I have been uh, recommending forever. Forever. Um, yeah. and, but certainly since I have a blog, since especially since Tom Hartman started talking about, you know, you should make senators wear uh, decal patches yeah. of sponsors. Yeah. Like, dude, it was in a book from the 50s called mm-hmm. The Space Merchants. Just read it. <laughs> if you look at the number of things that were predicted and warned against in the in the 50s during that golden age of science fiction that are all coming true or have come true, it is kind of astonishing and depressing to see people, you know, one of these days advertising is going to be a problem and uh, people are going to get stupid. They're going to be easily led because they're going to be turned into dumbed down uh, consumers who will believe anything they, they see on television. Well, anyway. yeah, and, and also the fact that gifted writers in the 50s very often made their dinner money with advertising. I mean, oh, yeah. That's how you make your money. So. Absolutely. These, these guys all had really, and they were mostly guys. I'm, I'm, I'm not being... Um, no, they were madmen for sure. Men. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. There were there were a couple women, but mostly men. But they had really interesting resumes. You know, people who worked, people who got phone calls from the Manhattan Project people saying, uh, "Why are you writing about this?" <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, Isaac Asimov was a biochemist, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Arthur Clarke dreamed up the geosynchronous satellite. Right. Um, right. People worked in advertising. These were really, and they were also a lot of them were just misfits. And, and had engineering brains, yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. And, uh, and couldn't fit in any place else. A lot of them wrote because that's the only way they can make a living. Yeah. But they were really ingenious in their way. Anyway. I know somebody like that. That's all I'm saying. Uh, all right, thank you. Thank you, Magnolia E-Publishing, and we'll be back again next week. Pleasure, Blue Gal. Love you. Love you, too.